The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. We'll take your Bibles and open them to Exodus chapter 25. And this afternoon I most happily return to our study of the tabernacle after these uh, many weeks. And here we have one of the Bible's most significant illustrations of Christ and his work. Our discussion is the golden candlestick, the lampstand that was used to lighten the interior of the tabernacle. And before we begin our discussion, let's look at this text in chapter 25 and verse number 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. And then going down to verse number 37, describing how the candlestick was to have seven lamps on it, they were told to light these lamps. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And our emphasis there, of course, is on light. Now here, coming up now, is our picture of the lampstand. And without any windows or doors or or skylights or other sources of light, the lampstand is the singular light for illumination as the priest would go about his duties in the tabernacle. Now we, we have spent more time on this lampstand than we have any of the other parts of the tabernacle. And that's because this covers so many important aspects of the Christian faith. And I believe that we could expect that because the signature attribute of God is that God is light. The scripture says that God is light. His glory is light. It says that there is no darkness in him. Now, I, I could give you some scientific explanations about light uh, and why light is all important and uh, that might be good. I think though it's enough to say that without light we don't have existence or at least the uh, our existence would be miserable. We couldn't imagine a world in which there is no light. I mean I, I can't even imagine what it would be like that people have to go through this blindness and that I don't know what we would do if we couldn't see if we didn't have light. And in our study of First Thessalonians on Sunday mornings, we've seen how Paul used darkness and light to differentiate between the children of God and the children of the world. And the descriptions that come out of that is that darkness is misery, darkness is sin, darkness is ignorance and helplessness. But then on the other hand, light is joy. Light is peace, light is life, light is holiness. To be in the light, as the scripture describes it, is to be in fellowship with God. Paul's experience on the road to Damascus was to meet God in a brilliant, shining light. And you remember the story of Paul's conversion, how he was blinded and he couldn't see for the glory of that light. And then he was given a commission that he was to go to the Gentiles to turn them from darkness to light, to turn them from Satan unto God. We could work our way through many Old and New Testament texts that speak of light, that God is light, and about darkness and evil. 
the power of light to overcome darkness, and that these are two things that never coexist. But perhaps the, the most definitive statements about light and Christ are made by the Apostle John. He spoke more about Christ and light than any other author. In his gospel account, we notice that he gave no space at all to the birth of Christ, but he goes back to the creation. He begins with Christ as the author of creation, and you know the thing that was most important to him? He introduced Christ in his gospel account as the only one who can give life, and he illustrated it this way. John 1, 4, and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. It was John who recorded Jesus' visit to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem when he says in John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then again in John chapter 9, Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then in chapters 11 and 12, there are more references to Jesus and light, especially when Jesus said this in John 12, 46, I am come, I am come a light unto the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. But then John doesn't stop there. He goes on in his epistle of 1 John and he speaks of love and a demonstration of love towards God and towards your fellow man. He describes as walking in the light. In 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But still John is not done. We go on to the next thing he writes in the book of Revelation. In that record, he records the heavenly new Jerusalem and says that it's lightened by the glory of God. And he says the lamb is the light of it. And that reference in Revelation 21, 23 is another verse that proves that Jesus Christ is God and that he and the Father are one. Well, this afternoon I'd like for us to step a little bit further into this study of the lampstand by changing the focus to another person in the Godhead who is pictured in the lampstand. Thus far in this study we've talked about the illuminating gospel, that is the light of Christ, and we've talked about the illuminating church, which is our union with Christ. And now thirdly, we'd like to look at the illuminating Holy Spirit, who is the revelation of Christ. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood person in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is misunderstood. Well, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? And I would state this simply at first, that the Holy Spirit is fully, equally God. He is equal in power and authority to God the Father and to God the Son. But our study is not really to go into the Trinity to explain that. So I'm just going to say that we need to recognize biblically that the Holy Spirit is, is an independent person in the Godhead, separate from the Father and the Son. And yet, the Bible says that, teaches that he is the same in substance and essential deity, that the Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son, but that he proceeds from the Father, and in fact, he is the Spirit of the Son. Now, before, we, before he went to the cross, Jesus promised the disciples that the Holy Spirit 
would come after he ascended. Uh, the Spirit would be in them. He, he said in, in John fourteen twenty, And that day ye shall know that I am in the Father and in me and I in you. Jesus said, I will be in you. Well, how was he in them? Well, he was in them in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so that makes the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. Now, I'm not going to ask you that you wrap your head about around all these things about the Trinity, but just to recognize the truths that the Bible speaks, things that we can't fully understand, that there is an essential union in the Godhead of the Spirit and the rest of the Godhead, and the Spirit is there for a special revelatory work of Jesus Christ and all the redemptive purposes that are found in Him. And the lampstand also bears out this special relationship between Christ and the Spirit in its pictures of redemption. Now remember that the tabernacle is an illustration, a picture of God dwelling with man. It's a picture of manhood and deity, and thus it brings into focus the means by which Christ is revealed to sinful fallen man. Now of course, you and I, we, we can't see Christ. We can't see him physically. Uh, physical eyes don't see him. So how do we know Christ? How do we understand him? And the answer to the question is by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Now, much of the confusion about the Holy Spirit today is that people want to pull him out of this work that he has of revealing Christ and put more emphasis on him than we do on Christ himself. But the Holy Spirit never seeks to be the focus and so I want to talk to you about that and how the tabernacle also shows this, that it keeps the Holy Spirit and Christ in the right relationship in God's redemptive purposes. Is the Holy Spirit equal with God? Well, the answer, of course, to that is yes. Should we focus on the Holy Spirit? Should we turn our attention to him? And the answer to that question is no, because when Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit, it was not for the purpose of magnifying the Spirit. And I would confess to you that trying to draw the line between the worship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is a very difficult one. But I know this, that that line is crossed when there is an overabundance of preaching and praising the Holy Spirit, and then there is very little said about Christ and the cross. And when there's undue focus on the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, such as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, then we know that the Holy Spirit has been taken out of that specific function in the Godhead. And so we want to look at this. How does the, how does the tabernacle show us this, this distinction of how the Holy Spirit and Christ work together? Now I want to show you something in Revelation chapter 1. Uh, if you turn there, uh, as you know, John begins the book of Revelation by saying, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The purpose of him giving the book is to speak of Christ and how that he will affect the closure of this world and transform it into a glorious eternal kingdom. And if you look at verse number four in chapter one, this is, there is an unusual and somewhat confusing statement made here. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, if you look down in verse number 8, you can see who it is that was and is and is to come, that that refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So the controversial part here is not Christ, but the controversial part is this seven spirits in verse number four that are before the throne. Who are these seven spirits? Does this mean that there are seven Holy Spirits? Or does it mean that there are some other special spirits that are in the throne room of God? Well, if you remember, some time ago I, I preached on the dilemma that we have here. And I showed you that the explanation to this scripture is found in Isaiah 11, verse number 2. Where the prophet Isaiah says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Here talking about Christ. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And in that verse, you find seven characteristics of the Spirit that are found in Jesus Christ. And so the seven spirits that are spoken of in Revelation chapter 1 are the seven perfections of the one Holy Spirit that we find demonstrated fully in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who illuminates Christ in all the perfections. And John said that God, the Father, did not give the Holy Spirit to him in measure. The, whole, the, the Son of God has all of the fullness of the Spirit in him. In other words, there are many people that are given different gifts of the Spirit. Just as, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says there are differing gifts of the Spirit and God gives to people severally as he wills so that you have some, uh, some preachers that are gifted with oratory. Not, that's not necessarily my gift, but some of them are gifted with oratory. Teachers are gifted to explain the Word of God, to make it understandable. Some are given gifts of hospitality and of other several more abilities. But Jesus was different in his incarnation in that he had all, all of the gifts of the Spirit in him. So the Father didn't dole out certain ministerial gifts to him, but rather... He possessed the fullness of the Spirit, as Revelation 1 and Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 show. So we have to be careful to observe how these gifts are true of Christ. Now, quoting Psalm 45, verse 7, the author of Hebrews wrote, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. What is the oil of gladness? Well, that's what we find in John 3.34. That the Spirit has been given to Christ without measure. God the Father anointed him with the oil of the Holy Spirit. Now, I hope you understand that's a figurative expression. Not that there was a literal pouring of oil out on Christ. But this anointing is the Holy Spirit symbolized in anointing oil. Well, where does that kind of language come from? Well, I would say that's Old Testament language. In fact, that is tabernacle language. Jesus Christ, who is described as the high priest of our confession, is illustrated in the tabernacle by the anointing of Aaron, the high priest of Israel, with oil. Now, if you go back to the book of Exodus and look at chapter 29, I hope that this will refresh your, your memory of our study of the high priest garments. And when Aaron was installed into the office of the high priest, this is what they were told to do. Exodus chapter 29, verse number 5. And thou shalt take the garments and put upon Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the curious girdle of the ephod. And thou shalt put the mitre upon his head and put the holy crown upon the mitre. Then shalt thou take the anointing oil and pour it upon his head and anoint him. 
And so they used this anointing oil to sanction Aaron in the priesthood. Now, if you go over to chapter 30, we find some very interesting instructions concerning the oil. Exodus 30, verse number 25. And thou shalt make it an oil of a holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table of all his vessels, and the candlestick, and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all his vessels, and the laver and his foot. And thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy. Whatsoever toucheth them shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shall ye make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy, and it shall be holy unto you. Whosoever compoundeth any like it, whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger, shall even be cut off from his people. Now there... You see that this oil is unlike any other, couldn't be used for any other purpose. The formula of it was not to be made by any common person for any common purpose. And that was to show the uniqueness of it, that this is holy, it's set apart to God. And whatever it touches is holy and set apart to God. And so verse number 29 says, and thou shalt sanctify them that they may be most holy. Now, we want to take that then and make the application of it for what oil represents in the, uh, the tabernacle. And first we would see then that oil represents the Holy Spirit. So let's take all this information and tie this into Christ having the Spirit without measure and being anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. And it presents a, a clearer picture of the significance of oil and how that relates to the Holy Spirit. So we see then that oil is emblematic of the Spirit, and that's spoken of several times in the Scripture. An example we find is the anointing of David in 1 Samuel 16, verse number 13, where it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. In the prophecy of the Messiah in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them that are bound. And then in the New Testament, Peter took that scripture and directly related it to Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 10. He said, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after that baptism with John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now that tells us there is no doubt that oil was used in the tabernacle as being symbolic of the Holy Spirit and his relationship to Jesus Christ. In fact, the name Christ, the term Messiah, mean the same thing, and both of them mean the anointed one. And so as God, Jesus was one with the Spirit, 
But as a man, he needed the strength of the Spirit, and so he required anointing. Now, you'll notice in the scripture that we just read that it referred to him as Jesus of Nazareth. Of Nazareth, that indicates manhood. And so in Exodus 39, when all the furnishings of the tabernacle were completed, they, they brought all of these articles to Moses to be inspected for quality and to be sure that it's according to all the instructions. And then they begin the setup of the tent for worship. And in verse number 37, the candlestick was brought. Exodus 39 verse 37 the pure candlestick with the lamps thereof even with the lamps to be set in order and all the vessels thereof and the oil for light and we notice the oil is brought for light in the seven branches of the lampstand there was a little bowl at the end of those branches that had oil and a wick and the oil was the fuel for the light well since the Holy Spirit is represented by oil that shows this it is the spirit who is the power that has the causes the light to shine there is no light without oil and Christ had no power but by the spirit of God that was in him and that's another of the ways that we see the interdependence of of the Godhead the father gave him the spirit without measure in the incarnation but without the Holy Spirit he has no power for ministry And so you remember that Jesus in his public ministry at his baptism, there the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Now in many many circles, the dove with an olive branch in its mouth is used to represent the Holy Spirit. Since the Holy Spirit doesn't have a bodily form, the way that John recognized that the presence or the presence of the Trinity was to see the Spirit descend in this form now he heard God the Father speak from heaven in an audible voice he had Jesus there in in the flesh and then the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove which represents all of the Trinity that uh, and the power of God that's in Christ so if you turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 1 this is the way that John the Baptist related this incident when um, there were people there who thought that he John was the Messiah So they asked him about this. And when he was asked if he was the Christ, John said, No, it's not me. I am not the Christ. Even though I baptize, it's not me. There is someone coming after me who is so far above me that I'm not worthy to untie his shoes and take them off. Now look at verse number 29, John chapter 1. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not. But that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw, and I bear record, that this is the Son of God. So John said, the one on whom the Spirit descends, this is the one who is the Son of God. John said, I saw that happen. There was my own eyes at this baptism. I saw that happen. And so John knew that the power of the Holy Spirit was in Christ. The descent of the Spirit was for the uncommon work of redemption 
that Christ would do. And so he must have all the fullness of the Spirit given to him. And thus, it is said, God did not give the Spirit with measure unto him. Now, you notice that that John didn't make a three-point sermon about the dove. He didn't sermonize about the dove. didn't emphasize at all what the dove did. He didn't write a book about the dove. And he didn't say, uh, look for doves. Think about doves. Worship doves. In fact, the Holy Spirit probably came in the form of a dove because the dove was the least of animals that could be used for sacrifice. The dove was the poor common man's sacrifice. And I think in the dove that not only is the Holy Spirit demonstrated, but there we have another picture of Jesus Christ himself as the one who brings salvation to the lowliest of sinners. So it doesn't make any difference how great you are, how rich you are, how poor you are. No one needs think they can't come to Christ in repentant faith and be received by him. So what I'm trying to say that even in, in this, this picture of the dove descending, there wasn't a purpose in that in making the Holy Spirit prominent. The purpose of that dove was for Christ, not for us. It was the power of the Godhead in him that needed to be seen. And so it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that, that lifts up Christ. So he's the one that's, that, that's to be revealed to sinful fallen man. So John spent no time on the dove, but he talks volumes about Christ, who is a Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now let me just tell you a little bit about one of my pet peeves. First is, you know I don't like acrylic pulpits. I mean, almost every time I see one, I know that the message that comes from it is going to be about as flimsy and transparently nothing as acrylic. So I don't want plastic. I want a wood pulpit. I want substance. You can have all your plastic. Now, I'm not going to make any kind of a doctrine about this that you must speak uh, from behind a wooden pulpit, but I would say this, that if you, you know, if Spurgeon had to put on a pair of skinny jeans and preach from a, a feel-good sermon about how wonderful you are, and then worse than that, to have to stand behind an acrylic pulpit with a dove on the front, I think he'd probably blow the top of his head off. I mean, almost all of these acrylic pulpits that you see have a dove on the front. But I want to tell you, the dove is not prominent. The dove is not who we're to focus on. I say, give me the cross. Make it very plain who we are to preach. Jesus Christ is to be lifted up and the Holy Spirit is there to make sure that Christ is lifted up. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to make Christ visible. He reveals Christ. He shows the beauty of Christ. So in the, in the tabernacle, you have this golden candlestick that represents Christ who is the light of the world. And then you have oil in the lampstand that represents the Holy Spirit who shows Christ and gives him the power of the gospel. I hardly think that you would walk into the tabernacle to see this golden candlestick and you would stand back in amazement and say, you know, um, I've never seen such spectacular oil. Have you ever seen oil like this? Can you imagine how valuable this oil must be. This is the oiliest oil I've ever seen. And there you stand gazing into that little bowl on the end of the golden branch. It has a dip of oil in it. And as you look at that, you miss the exquisite beauty of a solid gold lampstand reflected in the light. I mean, who would do that? Who would go in to look at the oil? But you'll notice you go into a charismatic church and go into many others and you never hear anything about the cross. 
You're not going to hear anything about a sacrifice of a dove because nobody's going to kill that dove. Christ is left out. And so what you see is people jabbering and sometimes barking and sometimes laughing and sometimes falling and sometimes crawling and sometimes jumping. Why? The reason is they've got all twisted up into the Holy Spirit who is never intended to be the focus of worship. The Holy Spirit is given to reveal Christ. So why do you need the Holy Spirit? Well, simply for this. You can't see Christ without him. 1 Corinthians 2 says, The natural man cannot understand the things of God. You will not see Christ with natural eyes, and so you must have the Holy Spirit illumination to reveal him. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He reveals to us the deep mysteries of God. He shows that to your heart. So this lampstand is not in the tabernacle to shed light on oil, but rather the oil is in the lampstand to illuminate the interior of the tabernacle that was filled with all these marvelous pictures of Christ. The light lightens it up, and there on the ceiling are the cherubim with four faces that speak of the character of Christ, and they're lightened and they're visible. Golden boards are there that speak of divinity. That's seen in the light. There's a table of showbread that's just across the way that's been lit up. And that represents Christ who is the bread of life. There's an altar of incense where Christ is pictured as our intercessor. That's seen in the light. There's a veil that represents Christ's flesh. That's illuminated. And then, of course, beyond that, there's the most holy place, which is the throne room of God. And there's the mercy seat and the sprinkling of blood. How is all of that seen? Well, it's the oil in the lampstand, excuse me, that provides fuel for the fire. And thus the beauties of Christ are seen. Now that perfectly accords with Christ's words concerning the Spirit when he first promised him to the disciples. In John 16, Jesus said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and will show you things to come, and shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So Jesus clearly says the Holy Spirit didn't come to talk about all the wonderful things that the Spirit would do. And make no mistake about this, the Spirit does marvelous works. He sanctifies, he empowers the church, he guides, he comforts, he does many mighty works. But he does all of them in consequence of the redeeming, sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is given to, again, reveal Christ. And he came to show the disciples things that were to come and things that would glorify Christ. When Paul preached to the Romans and the Corinthians, he spoke of the mysteries of Christ concerning the church. And he tells us where he got the information. Do you remember where? In Ephesians 3, verse number 2, he says, If ye have heard... Of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so it's the Spirit always telling us something about Christ. If you miss Christ for the Spirit, you won't be saved. The Holy Spirit regenerates. He gives repentance and faith to reveal Christ. So the Holy Spirit's power in the Godhead to regenerate uh, is to regenerate those who have been given by the Father to Christ. So always central in the church, no matter where we go, the central, central person in the church is always Christ.
And yet none of this is given to downplay the role of the Holy Spirit. Not, not at all. Because the Holy Spirit's work is infallibly essential for your salvation. But we notice again that the tabernacle was erected primarily because of Christ. All the sacrifices, those point to Christ. You have altars and lavers. You have boards and bars and coverings and doors and gold and wood and the sprinkling of blood. And that is all about Christ. So I'm just saying this, that if the church misses Christ to preach about people and about tongues and about healing and about barking and about the works of the Spirit, there's no power there because there is no Christ there. Now, secondly... This next is apparent by the previous comments. The Holy Spirit magnifies Christ. As John the Baptist pointed to Christ, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And this is exactly what the Holy Spirit does when he speaks to your heart. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. And if the Spirit is magnified instead of Christ, then you're going to end up doing unscriptural things. I've talked about tongues and we've read here about healings and there are fake healings and this is an, a, another problem in charismatic churches you have the problem of prophecies those, those who claim that they have gifts of the spirit will focus on the spirit always saying that God told them this the Holy Spirit told them to say this and God told them that the Holy Spirit told them that and they've got this word of knowledge for you and they've got this extra word of revelation they want to tell you about. And I've even heard some of them that say with my own ears, you are not going to find this in your Bible, but this is what the Holy Spirit told me to tell you. Now, might I remind you that Hebrews says that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. And might I also remind you, the same scriptures say that what is spoken in the word is fully enough for everything we need to know about God. And I might even remind you further that to have the Holy Spirit in you is to have the word of Christ in you. Paul wrote in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So then what, what's all this talk about receiving revelations from the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit only has one revelation for you. Jesus Christ, who is a living word. He, he sends you to Christ. He always sends you to Christ. He never magnifies himself. So don't get mixed up with those who bypass Christ for the Spirit. If you miss Christ, there is no Holy Spirit for you. Now, once again, I want to emphasize that none of this is to devalue the worth of God in the Holy Spirit. This is not to put the Spirit beneath Christ, because we've already said that He is co-equal in the Godhead with the Father and the Son. But the point is, you have to let the Holy Spirit do His proper work. You don't force Him into a role that He doesn't fill. Now, obviously, you can't do that anyway. The only way that you can do it is in your own mind, because the Spirit is never subject to our whims or misconceptions of him. But you can mark that down as well, that those who emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit over the work of Christ or to the detriment of Christ think that they can order the Spirit around and tell him what to do as they command. So they think they can do things like bind the devil. You ever heard him talk about that? Binding the devil? 
They think they can speak things into existence. That's one of their doctrines. Many of them teach that they're little gods that are just waiting to become big gods. So if you get the Holy Spirit wrong, it's going to lead you into all sorts of heretical apostasies. So we let the scriptures define what the Spirit does. Don't let them tell you how God works. Go to the Word of God. See exactly how the Spirit works. So the tabernacle shows us this. A little oil in the end of a lampstand has the power to reveal Jesus Christ. That power is the Holy Spirit. He's mighty enough, certainly, to move upon the face of the waters and create the world. He's mighty enough to change the sinner's heart and make him recognize his horrible sin. He's mighty enough to turn the hardest heart into a soft heart of flesh. For what? To recognize Christ. So you take away the ministry of magnifying Christ. That is to push Christ down and put all things above him. God forbid that we should glory in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ. Now I've got a little bit more to say on this aspect of the illuminating spirit and the lampstand. But I'm going to save that for next time. And then we're going to finish with a fourth observation. There, there is another uh, illumination that I want you to see. We've talked about the illuminating gospel and the illuminating church, the illuminating Holy Spirit. But there's still a fourth illumination that's pictured in the golden lampstand. And we'll talk about that next time. Blessed be God for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to understand very clearly the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is equal with you, the Father, equal with the Son. And yet, the Scriptures teach that we are not to focus on the Holy Spirit's work all the time to the detriment of speaking about Christ in the cross because sinners must see Jesus Christ. Your Spirit is given to reveal Him. Lord, help us to see that truth, to preach it, and not fall into the error of so many in uh, trying to illuminate the Holy Spirit instead of your Son. Thank you, Father, for what we learned from the Scriptures tonight in pictures of the tabernacle. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.